Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me, our first show of the new year, and much like several of the shows to close the old year, the effort was there, but the result was not. We highlight the individual performances because, yeah, that's where we're at in the season. It's Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 632, and it starts now. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed it. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. So before we go any further here, Paul, one, Happy New Year, and how was it ringing in the new year with colleagues Darren Urban, Danny Sarek, and the rest of the crew in Hotlanta? Yeah, well, uh, let's put it this way. If you're doing a power poll of uh, who moved the meter the most with their New Year's Eve plans, I would be dead last. I would be in others receiving boats <laughs> because I was basically in a hotel meal room with Ron Wolfley, Dave Pash, even Darren Urban and Danny Sarek left Pauly pathetic behind. Uh, so I was basically stuck at the hotel watching college football playoff action and hitting the buffet one too many times, put it that way. So uh, once again, uh, I live vicariously through everyone else's plans on New Year's Eve because I did absolutely jack. Atlanta was the center of the sports world. It Friday, was. Friday right. night, LeBron James beats the Atlanta Hawks, and then Saturday, literally at the stroke of midnight, Georgia beats Ohio State, and credit to everyone that had to work overnight to get kickoff ready for 11 a.m. on Sunday. Same field. Did you happen to see any confetti laying around or any remnants of a semifinal game the night before? So we walked into the uh, into the stadium a good, what, four, four and a half hours before kickoff, and uh, it smelled like a stadium <laughs> that had a lot of stale beer uh, just, you know, fermenting overnight. Um, so you, you definitely knew a game had been played the night before. There's, there's no doubt about that. And you're right, at about midnight there were a bunch of flashes uh, out my hotel window, and uh, boom, I went out there. I didn't see Santa on the roof, but uh, you could see, yeah, there were some fireworks going off, some other stuff. It was a combination of New Year's and uh, Georgia football advancing in the national title game. Unfortunately for the Arizona Cardinals, there was not uh, momentum from the night before as we we try to go as far as we can without having to discuss what happened on Sunday. Well, and I will say this, that – the game day atmosphere for the Falcons was nowhere near what the night before was like. In fact, it was much closer, and I mentioned this to a couple of people on the sideline, it reminded me of the final season in St. Louis when that Rams dome that was sort of dark and dank and you know it was half full and there was zero energy. Noise was not a factor during the Cardinals-Falcons game, put it that way, and you weren't feeding off the energy of the crowd. It really it reminded me of the final time the Cardinals played the Rams in St. Louis, and you could hear the phone ring on the sideline. <laughs> on the opposite side of the field, on the Rams' sideline, you could hear their phone ring. That's how dead it was. It wasn't that far beyond 2020 with empty stadiums because of COVID. I'm looking at the final game book here, though, Paul. Paid attendance, 69,269. So you're saying maybe that's not yeah. quite accurate. Yeah, paid versus attendance. who versus, actually attended. Yeah, how, how many showed up was is the real question because between Georgia football winning and New Year's Eve, I think there are a lot of game day decisions 
where attendees declined accordingly. Well, for those that did not attend Sunday's game, a heck, you missed a heck of a game as far as back and forth, especially in the second half. Seven lead changes. We know the final score. Falcons beat the Cardinals 20-19 to on a game-winning field goal as time expires. Cardinals dropped their sixth in a row. They are 4-12. and Not so much as far as the game because at this point in the season, Paul, it is all about the offseason, all about next year. And had the opportunity to go back and rewatch some of the game on Sunday nights, and I thought Brady Quinn on the broadcast put it best because at this point with those two teams, you're playing for the name on the back of the uniform as opposed to the name on the front of the uniform, and I thought that was well said because as we've been talking about now for several weeks, unfortunately, it is about the evaluation of each individual, not so much the performance of the entire team. And even recognizing some of the names on the back of the jerseys can be a challenge. When you look over, you're like, well, wait, who's 32? Uh, Josh Thomas, the backup safety, okay, with Buda Baker gone. Uh, wait a minute, 48? Okay, that's Hunter Bradley, the new long snapper. Even those of us down in the sideline are like, well, who are some of these guys? But you're right, Craig, it's sort of like um, – what capitalism is founded upon, right? What's good for you should be good for the economy. If you work hard to make a good living, you're going to propel the economy. So in this case, what can you do to serve yourself that ultimately should be beneficial to the team if you're playing well and taking care of your job? And look, there are certain things that stood out. I would say that on the plus side, we're not hearing the word self-inflicted as much as we did maybe this time a month ago. Uh, on the downside, you're still not having your defense play its best in the most critical moments. Obviously, that final 12-play, 72-yard drive where they went down the field and ran out the clock and got the game-winning 21-yard field goal. There was a third and seven at the Cardinals 27 with right after the two-minute warning where they hit the tight end for a big gainer, 14, 15 yards where – you could have forced the field goal there and then had time to work a, a drive at the end. You didn't. I know there was discussion, do you let them score? But how do you know that the running back just doesn't take a seat at the two-yard line? You, know, you tell me Arthur Smith hadn't informed his offense accordingly. If all of a sudden the Red Sea parts don't score. So, yeah, you can go back and forth on that. But in terms of you know, look, players that stood out that, that showed well, I, you have to start with David Blau, don't you? You have to start with the Cardinals' fourth different starting quarterback in four games, which is the second time that has happened since 1950? Yeah, the what? last time or the only other time, this is according to Elias, the 2018 Buffalo Bills, so not that long ago, but some recognizable game uh, names here. Derek Anderson, <laughs> yep, former Arizona ding. Cardinal. Yep. Nathan Peterman. Matt Barkley, hey, former Arizona Cardinal. And then the final quarterback, Josh Allen, who has not given up that spot for the Buffalo Bills. But that is the last time a team has used four different starting quarterbacks in four straight games. And how many of those guys only had a Friday practice? <laughs> That's true. You know, Der Derek Anderson, you know, I, I take this stuff serious, man. You know, uh, the last time we heard from Derek Anderson, he, he made headlines. So how many of those quarterbacks were like David Blau when the starting quarterback after Thursday practice had a recurrence of concussion symptoms? We're talking about Colt McCoy. And then David Blau gets a glorified walkthrough on a Friday to try and sync up. And oh, by the way, you're missing your, your number one receiver 
who uh, all of a sudden is no longer out on that field. And then your uh, next, your 1B receiver, who had a really good game for the most part, then leaves in the fourth quarter in the most critical time with an arm injury. So, But I, I tell you what, David Blau, not every throw was accurate. Not every catch was made. But it looked like he made the right decisions, and he didn't hesitate to go downfield. I mean, that first possession, Cardinals looking at third and 14, and you're like, oh, boy, here we go. And then, boom, he throws a laser for 16 yards to Hollywood Brown on a deep out right at the Cardinals' sideline. And you could sort of sense everyone looking at each other going, oh, oh, okay. Uh, David Blau has an arm, and he has the ability to find the open guy and make the right reading decisions. And, oh, by the way, he's going to hang in the pocket. He took a couple of hits. Uh, on completions, and he's not going to make a panic throw if the pocket is collapsing. You know, he took a sack or two, but it really wasn't the worst decision he could have made in the moment. So for a guy who only started five games in his career and all those were at the end of his rookie year, 2019, I, I thought he showed pretty darn well considering the circumstances. A couple of things stood out. You mentioned it as far as the decision-making. No turnovers, protected the football, which is always number one for any quarterback. But you mentioned the vertical threats. I went back and looked. The number of quote-unquote deep shots, there were 10 of them. I don't know how that compares, but just in recent games, I don't remember that many throws downfield. And those 10 deep shots did include the free play when the Falcons were caught offsides and Blau knew exactly what to do. You make that throw if for no other reason, maybe that's a catch or a DPI, and you take the yards. Speaking of DPI, there was a deep shot to Hollywood Brown, yep. 40-yard penalty. It looked a lot different, and where has this been all season long? Because it's not like, you mentioned it, no DeAndre Hopkins, Hollywood Brown injured in the fourth quarter. So for most of that game, you did have a deep shot with Hollywood Brown. There were some deep shots with Trey McBride as well. That's the one thing that really stood out how many times Blau hung in the pocket, had time to throw, and look downfield. All right, deep shot, you're defining that as 20 yards or more? 15 to 20 yards, air okay. yards. Okay, that, that, air yards. Okay. I think that's what – I think, again, I'll have to go back, but that is what – when you look at the game book and you go back, yep. that is what they define it. And there were three deep shot completions according to the game book. And I went back, that's the most since week 11 against the San Francisco 49ers. You're going way, way back. I tell you what, though, your numbers in your research really sync up with the eyeball test. It it felt that way. It it really did. And, you know, we talked about this after the game. with stinking Cam Cox over at Channel 12, Cam, and he's asking me what can be learned from the game. Okay, you know what, tough guy? Here's, Here's my first answer, that you don't have to have five pro bowlers on your offensive line, but it certainly helps if it's the same five. And that was the third straight game with the same starting five, correct? Correct. So you're right. The pocket was a little better, I thought. Now, Atlanta had the second fewest sacks coming in with 19. They are not known for a pass rush. They're most definitely not the San Francisco 49ers when it comes to getting to the quarterback. We all get that. But David Ball also had the willingness to hang in, and he kept his eyes downfield. And he just didn't hit eject after his first read was there. He really did. And I talked to, let's just say, some decision makers after the game in the locker room, and they noticed that he was looking one, two, three, fourth read, here we go, and that ball is out. So he was definitely surveying, scanning the field. 
and, and was making some good decisions, which once again is remarkable because, A, he hadn't played in so long, and, B, we have not seen a lot of that in this Cardinals offense so far this season per your reports and your research right there. So, okay. Uh, and I also thought it was intriguing that he commented and credited Cliff Kingsbury for staying in his headset during the game and actually let – what did Sean McVay do early on with Jared Goff that got the Rams into a Super Bowl with Goff? He would have them go tempo, get up to the line of scrimmage, and then he would be trailing the line of scrimmage by a good 20 yards, surveying the defense, what sort of personnel they had out there, and he would be giving instructions to his quarterback, his young QB, right up until the 15-second cutoff on the play clock. And it did, based on what David Blau was saying, it did appear that Cliff Kingsbury used a similar approach with Blau at Atlanta. Blau, very complimentary of the head coach in terms of the week of preparation, not even a week, a day. I mean, you're getting the tap on the shoulder on Friday morning and that, hey, you're the guy, and at that point you can't change much of the game plan, which we discussed on Friday here on Cardinals Cover 2, presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. But spreading the ball around, seven different receivers. Eight different were targeted at least one time. There was a ground game. Offensively, it looked good until you got inside the red zone, and that's where things became troublesome. One of four inside the 20-yard line. That's what Blau mentioned postgame. We had to settle for too many field goals. And that, at the end of the day, was the difference between the Cardinals snapping a five-game losing streak and now what is a six-game losing streak. And I think that's where the precision comes in. You know, you, you get into a condensed playing area, the red zone, the details have to be absolutely nails. You know, the precision has to be there. That's where you're completing a back shoulder touchdown pass, just for example, by a couple of inches. So, you know, maybe that's where the Cardinals found themselves without that next level of preparation was in the red zone. Because there were plenty of other instances where they were moving the ball up and down the field, and there were receivers that did a good job of getting open, getting separation, finding space in the defense. But obviously, space is much more limited once you get to the red zone, and I think that's where it shows that you don't have a quarterback who worked an entire offseason with his receiver group, for example. And so with that in mind, uh, yeah, the Cardinals offense did bog down. And, and Grady Jarrett in that defensive front also did a good job of getting penetration and stopping James Conner on some of those critical, critical rundown situations. Matt Prater field goals of 38, 36, and 36. So you had drive stall at the 20 of Atlanta, the 18 of Atlanta, and the 18 of Atlanta. That – Look, now you're not inside the 10-yard line, but you got to be able, when you're in that red zone, regardless of the personnel, and I'll say this, considering who David Blau had to throw to, who was on the field with him, I thought it was a well-orchestrated game plan, well-executed game plan. It just, given the circumstances and given the talent, you are missing a lot of players, a lot of starters on the offensive side. And, and when you consider going into the game, how many different Cardinals offensive players? And Billy Price said as much in the Big Red Rage. We don't just expect the house. We expect the house plus, plus the kitchen sink from Dean Pease, their ultra-aggressive Atlanta defensive coordinator who's been in the league a long time. You heard Cole McCoy, when he thought he was going to be starting the game on Wednesday, say that my eyes have to be great this week, that I have to be able to identify where all these moving pieces are coming from. Because what happened against Trace McSorley on Christmas night against Todd Bowles, every third down situation, seemingly, 
there was a different blitz scheme coming. There was something different for Trace McSorley to try and assess and evaluate and get the ball out. And, and we know the fateful first time, one of the early third downs, where he got blitzed and got hit untouched coming off the edge. He got hit from the blind side. Boom, there goes the football, and there was a turnover. That didn't happen with David Blau in this Cardinals offensive line. Despite Atlanta trying to be very aggressive and dialing it up, they did a pretty good job handling a lot of that and it wasn't always a completion it wasn't always a first down but it wasn't disaster like it was too often Christmas night with Trace McSorley against Tampa's D and credit Blau for overcoming those two sacks the first one on the open possession and all of a sudden you're looking at third and 14 and you mentioned the deep shot to Hollywood Brown to keep that drive going stalls because there's a holding penalty on Josh Jones you kick the field goal you go up three nothing then later in the third quarter another sack to set up third and 13 you do complete the pass to Greg Dorch who made a great catch catching that ball just inches from the ground and that sets up a fourth and short and here might be part of that turning point because you don't have James Conner anymore he gets hurt earlier Injuring that shin on a third or on a on a on a play on a one yard run earlier, so you call fourth and two. Yeah, I like the decision to go for it. Now, do you have the personnel to execute and get that first down? And Corey Clement gets stopped for no gain. In the first thing that Cliff Kingsbury said in our post game radio interview, when I cited seven lead changes, you know, right down to the wire, coach. What sticks out the most? The first thing he cited was I didn't like my fourth down call. And at first, I thought he was perhaps referring to the fourth and eight at the 18, where seemingly they were looking to actually go for it, but then Atlanta called the timeout. But no, he was talking about what you just cited, the fourth and two with Corey Clement, and and boom, they got stuffed. And so he never did follow up, and maybe I should have followed up. Well, in hindsight, what would you have called uh, if not that play? But it was interesting, mid-third quarter, fourth and eight at Atlanta's 18, where you ended up getting the field goal to go up 16-14, that he had every intention of going for it there, that he was not just fabricating a possible fourth down play to force Atlanta to use a timeout. That's what transpired and what happened, but somehow someone messed something up in the execution, and the, the play never came off for the Cardinals. There was a delay in snapping the ball for whatever reason, Otherwise, that would have been about the gutsiest call we had seen all year. I did not know it. And again, while we're watching it in studio, you don't get the full field view of what's going on. So in that instance, you're like, what are you doing? You got to be able to, you're got to kick the field goal in this instance. But what I missed, I did not realize that not only was the offense on the field, but lined up to the right, Andy Lee and Matt Prater, they were on the field. And then looking and reading some of the post-game comments, this was something that Matt Prater brought up that Jeff Rogers has done in the past, either to force a timeout, which is what happened, but this is a play, a designed play to run because you're catching the defense off guard. Yeah, you've got Andy Lee and Matt Prater on the field, but on the other side, you had Hollywood Brown, and I don't think he was covered. And to your point about the delay and the snap, Otherwise, yeah, you might get that necessary eight yards and maybe even more. At the time, you're like, no, 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 no. This is the one instance, Coach, you do not go for it. But they saw something that's not quick enough to snap the football. It's really interesting because I didn't quite realize that because I saw the field goal team go out onto the field, and then I sort of looked down. 
And then all of a sudden I looked up because everyone's scrambling around and they're running up to the line of scrimmage. I'm like, what's the hurry? And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. They're not in a field goal formation. Did I miss, you know, the, the, the field goal battery coming off the field? So you're saying no, Andy Lee and Matt Prater were still out there. And because, but then when Atlanta called the timeout and the Cardinals could not snap the ball, and, and Kingsbury wanted them to snap the ball, let's go, let's go, let's go. And, and, and then he flipped his play card in frustration, which you never see happen. You never see a visible, palpable display of emotion, at least rarely with Cliff Kingsbury. And that frustration in that moment is what led me to ask him after the game that he really wanted to run the play. Because he didn't have a wry smile on his face like, ah, we got you and you had to, you had to expend a timeout. No, he, he was legitimately mad. Cardinals did not snap the ball and run that play. So uh, maybe uh, we'll follow up in his Monday press conference with a little bit more on that one. Because, again, I, I, when the team is on the road, I watch from the studio. So I'm watching television, but I'm also listening to you, Pash, and Wolf. And they were beside themselves. What are you doing going for it in that instance? And then later they sent it down to you, and you had that report about Cliff being upset, visibly upset, that, no, this was not a way to get the Falcons to burn a timeout. They wanted to run a play. And at this point in the season, you're like, okay, you know, hindsight, if it doesn't work, yeah, you're going to get skewered. But if it does, you're like, wow, okay, you know what? Let's roll the dice, do anything possible to end this five-game losing streak. Can I also say, with a backup long snapper, it was a little dicey. Right? It was a little dicey with Hunter Bradley. A number of those snaps were hitting the turf, were really low. Your unheralded MVP of the game really was Andy Lee, the holder. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he was like he had like a gold glove out there. He was like a shortstop with great hands, and he, he's scooping up a lot of those snaps. And so maybe that factored into Cliff Kingsbury at that moment saying, you know what, we don't have a reliable long snapper right now. Yeah, I know this is a chip shot. I know a field goal gives us the lead, but it's not an automatic with this brand-new long snapper out there, maybe just maybe that was part of the thinking. I don't know because I'm with you. In a game that's tightly contested, in a game where touchdowns are going to be tough to have with a couple of backup quarterbacks out on that field and a field goal gives you a 16-14 lead, which it did eventually, ultimately, um, yeah, I, I had a hard time comprehending going for it in that situation. Then again, you're out of the playoffs. What do you have to lose? By the way, Matt Prater postgame on his new or working with a new long snapper and Hunter Bradley said it went all right, and that was about as far as it went. But that one snap, and Cliff even brought it up that, that there was a perfect snap on the 57-yard field goal. It was anything but perfect. It was a great job by Andy Lee to bring it back, almost like a catcher framing a pitch yeah. to set it up to allow Prater to kick once again his 71st field goal of 50 or more yards. So, yeah, the unsung hero on Sunday was Andy Lee, although he did get the punt block, but that was a missed assignment, whether that was Bradley or Ezekiel Turner, because on that, they allowed a Falcon defender to rush free up the middle, and that can't happen. So Zeke Turner on that, the personal protector, went right when he should have gone left. Or, again, I don't, I, again I don't, without knowing the line calls, because they both, Bradley and Turner, both went right. Right. Gotcha. And there was a stunt and a misdirection by the Falcons, and it just it's like, wow, up the middle and a free shot. And, yeah. again, early in the game, but one of those momentum-swinging moments because the Falcons take advantage, it's a one-play yep. drive. Look, there were enough mistakes, okay? I mean, was the game there to be won? Absolutely. Did we hear the word self-inflicted? No, but it was far from error-free. Josh Jones had a couple of flags were costly. J.J. Watt had a couple of flags 
costly. After the game, J.J. Watt said, I played like bleep. He did have the one sack, but that was his only tackle in the game. He had a couple of quarterback hits. So there's no question that Atlanta – it's like Drew Stanton said on the pregame show that back in the day they had a game against J.J. Watt at the height of his powers. Drew Stanton was in Indy, and they played Houston twice a year, and he said they had run checks in. Andrew Luck had run checks in that were just run away from J.J. So they get up to the line of scrimmage, and they had a check in that if the play was designed to go left and there was J.J. Watt on the left, no, now we're going right. We're just running away from J.J. And you're, you're seeing that now, obviously, without Zach Allen and with the way he looks and, and the headlines that he has garnered, rightfully so, with his recent play. But I think, you know, he was anticipating and guessing and maybe getting a little over-anxious at times. So there were different guys making some different mistakes. There's, there's no question about it. Then again, you had a secondary that was missing your top three corners for the second time in three games. That is such a no comprendo. When you look out there and it's Jace Whitaker and Christian Matthew, and you're like, man, this is in January. This is in New Year's Day. This is August all over again. Yet there was Jace Whitaker breaking up a deep shot uh, to Demir Bird. There was Christian Matthew against Cordero Patterson, a big, strong, you know, physical receiver in the end zone. He battled to the end, and Patterson did not come down with that, what could have easily been a back shoulder touchdown catch. So I thought the corners for them definitely were bigger part of the solution than the problem. They weren't getting victimized and, and giving up big plays left and right. So, uh, you know, now we'll see exactly what the Niners do and Kyle Shanahan and Brock Purdy, but – yeah, that's when you look out there on the field and you're like, oh, my goodness, this is the secondary. Isaiah Simmons playing a lot of center field with no Buda Baker out there. Um, so your leading tackler was Jalen Thompson again? Correct. By the way, congratulations to JT, his first career 100-tackle season. And by the way, I, don't, I did not realize it watching it in real time, but watching it back, he's got the C now on his uniform. And I wonder if that's because with no more Buda Baker the rest of the season, you need somebody and – Maybe someone in the secondary, but Jalen Thompson's now wearing that C, one of the defensive captains now for the – against Atlanta and then finishing up against – at San Francisco. Okay, but he has been a team captain all year, right? Or no? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've had – I mean, it's been Kyler, DJ Humphrey, Rodney Hudson, James Conner, J.J. Watt, Buda Baker, Jalen Thompson, Dennis Gardeck. Those were the team captains okay. near the beginning of the season. Now, whether he was wearing the C or not, I don't know. Yeah, I have to go back and look because I don't know, for whatever reason, it stood out to me. It's like he's wearing the C. It's like yep. I don't remember him wearing the C all season. But you might – you know what? You've got the you've got the better notes than I do as far as on that end because without Buda Baker, one of your captains – and that secondary, and when you don't have a Byron Murphy and a Marco Wilson and Antonio Hamilton, you're going to need someone yeah. in that room to kind of step up and take charge. I'm still waiting, though. I'm still waiting for the game where a DB isn't the leading tackler. There he is again, Jalen Thompson this time, 10 tackles. Zayvon Collins had seven. And look, when Zayvon Collins was out of the game, at the end of the – well, I guess it would have been the beginning of the second quarter on the Tyler Algier touchdown run. Uh, you know, there was no Zavin on the 14-yard run on fourth down. It was fourth and one, and they ripped it for 14 yards. When Zavin was not on the field, and then first and goal at the five, up the gut again, wide open. Algier just romps into the end zone, and there was no Zavin Collins there either. I put that down in my notes. He was on the sideline getting some uh, medical attention. Now he did come back into the game, and 
but you saw what the Cardinals' defense, run defense, looked like minus Zayvon Collins, and it was not good. And Atlanta was smart enough to target right up the A-gap, two big runs in a row, and the last of which was a touchdown run. Missed tackles and far too much running room for the rookie, Algier. By the way, Zayvon Collins is the only non-DB to lead the team in tackles this season. He's done it three times, weeks four, six, and seven. But to your point, nine straight games, a defensive back has led the team in tackles 13 times overall. And, yes, Isaiah Simmons is a defensive back. I don't care what he's listed on your roster, but he consistently works with the safety group and open portion of practice and exclusively played safety without Buda Baker on Sunday. And his postgame comments talked about him having to be more patient in the back end. He played too aggressive as a safety, but that is something that he's mentioned that just more repetition, he'll get more patient if he's asked to play that safety spot. Otherwise, he's been playing a lot of corner or slot corner. Yeah, And I don't care what his position says on the roster. Uh, he's not a linebacker. He, he, no. he, he's not in the linebacker room. He's been in the safeties room all season long with position coach Marcus Robertson. So they made that decision to start 2022. That, that started last offseason. So that's just to the reality of it. By the way, Tyler Algier, I mean, this dude, round five rookie out of BYU. In 2019, he was a linebacker and running back. Then he transitioned exclusively to running back. And last year is his final college season. He ran for over 1,600 yards. He had 23 rushing touchdowns. He averaged nearly six yards a carry. 70% of his yards were yards after contact. Wow. And, and, and the Falcons, they say this, whether this is revisionist history or not, the Falcons say that he was the second-rated running back on their board behind Kenneth Walker. So this kid is a find. He had a good burst. You know, supposedly he's not a burner, and that's why he fell to the fifth round. He, he was hitting the hole plenty fast, and he was finishing runs. It's It was impressive to watch, again, from afar. He had 41 rushing yards at halftime, finished with 83, but he got nicked up, and it's just unfortunate yep. or fortunate for the Falcons that they had Patterson in there to kind of keep that running game going late. Otherwise, if they don't have him or someone of his ill, then that run game goes bye-bye when Algier left the game. No question. And Patterson is a load, too. I mean, here's a, here's a dude that comes downhill – and he brings it. So he, he was a tough tackle. I, I you know I, I didn't think there was any lack of intensity or energy or aggression by the Cardinals defense. Guys weren't turning down tackles. Uh, you know as JJ Watt said that that hasn't happened yet. And I still didn't see that. We'll see what transpires week 18 at the 49ers in that rushing attack because obviously nobody runs the ball quite as physical as the 49ers. Or at least that's always their intent. So we'll see. We'll see exactly uh, what happens uh, defensively, but it is remarkable. Look, I tell you, two guys who I thought played well, Lucky Foto had his name called a lot after getting called out by Dave Pash during the broadcast earlier because he mentioned he mentioned Foto do. Oh, it was uh, it was earlier, but it was before the fumble recovery. Anyway, well, you know we haven't we haven't talked about Lucky much. We haven't called his name, and then. One play after next after <laughs> next, it's Lucky Foto, Lucky, and then Dave acknowledged. As well, that, hey, you know, motivation here this week. 
Michael Dogby, I don't know what his final numbers were defensively, but Dogby was getting a lot of props and praise from Matt Burke, the defensive line coach, and Vance Joseph, who who made number of times, came over to 91, Michael Dogby, and we're wrapping them on the uh, shoulder pads and pumping up and say, hey, look, I mean, and if you're a Michael Dogby, you know, it's not just a David Blau gets an opportunity. You talk about playing from the name on the back of your jersey. Here's a guy who's been cut a couple of times this year, sent to the practice squad. He's been active on game days. He hasn't seen a lot of snaps. But in this instance where, you know what, no Zach Allen, uh, you know, you are needed in the trenches, and he earned – he earned increased snaps in the game, and, and from what I saw, he was very productive. 40 snaps for Dogby, four tackles, and again, someone that was on the team, off the team, signed to the practice squad, now back on the active roster. A former seventh-round draft pick who has maintained his position with the Cardinals in some form or fashion. So, yeah, depth on that defensive line. And, again, it's that evaluation. What are you doing over these last couple of games? And someone that we know is going to be on this team next season, regardless of the number of changes that we anticipate happening, is Trey McBride. And his improvements from when Zach Ertz went down to now – you had a great opportunity to talk with him post game, and he's even become more comfortable in the spotlight, so to speak, and having fun with his touchdown slide. He got tripped up. The ball was thrown a little bit behind him, but a great adjustment on his part, and he had a career day. Yeah. Catches, and, receptions, and targets. And you know what? After the game, uh, he was looking. He wanted to sit down. In the, uh, so we're, out, we're just on the fringes of the locker room, sort of the entranceway, and he wanted to sit down on this folding table. And he realized as soon as he started to put some weight on it, he was going to snap that thing like it was w, like a Bills fan coming off the top of an RV, okay? So he's looking around, and somebody noticed, and they brought a, a metal folding chair over, and he sat down on it. He was exhausted. I, I mean, he had grass stains all over him. He had blood on an elbow. I, he was he, – he just – he's taking the tape off. It was sort of an old – Old school 1970s look. He's taking the tape off. He's doing the interview. His head is down. You know, he, he was in good spirits, So He answered our question about the fellows giving him a hard time on the sideline. He said, yeah, the guys were telling me it's one of the most unathletic plays they've ever seen was his quote, which was funny. And Max Williams and company were, were razzing him. And, you know, but he, he was all smiles after the touchdown. I wonder, did somebody go get the football? Because he spiked it, and it was his first career touchdown. Dang, I forgot to ask him that. And so um, – but, yeah, he is improving. He took a big hit, took a hellacious hit for the second time this season in the game, and he got up, he got his teeth rattled, and boom, stayed in the game. So, yes, you're starting to see some of the potential, and it's good because look at Isaiah Likely and what he's been doing for the Baltimore Ravens, right? He's around three, round four, and then Jelani Woods for the Colts. Six seven plus two fifty. He was round three or four out of Virginia. He's been a heck of a rookie tight end. So you know, there's been a lot of people waiting, waiting for Trey McBride. Okay, let's see the fact that you were the first tight end off the board, number fifty five overall, and he has delivered in the last month, no question. And you wonder now, looking ahead, with a healthy Zach Ertz, an improving year two Trey McBride. Two tight ends. Ron Wolfley don't get too excited, but now how does that manifest within this offense with or without Kyler Murray, depending on when Kyler's able to return after he has ACL surgery this week? Again, 
another question going into the offseason. And you know what I liked? There was one play, he made a catch, he came to the sideline, and some DB tried to cut him low, and he sort of stayed on his feet and used the stiff arm, and then he finished with that stiff arm. He sort of shoved the DB down there, or there out of bounds. There was a little bit of nasty in there, which you hadn't seen. So the confidence is definitely building. And that is something that can carry over to next year. If you can get a Trey McBride, a MyJ Sanders, a Cam Thomas, who is also one of our post-game interviews, you can see their confidence is building. They have to prove it to themselves like any player. I belong. I can excel at this level. I can be a playmaker, a difference maker. So you're starting to see that with Trey McBride. And then when he got up after the interview, agree, that, that folding chair, which sort of had a cushion on it, was soaked. I mean, just the sweat that was coming off his game pants while he was sitting there. And you realize how hard these guys work on game day, how exhausting it really is. And so, um, you know, he he's a guy that on the Big Red Rage a couple of weeks ago said he enjoys a good combo block as much as making a catch. So if he can be that dual threat tight end, get in the weight room, like a Cam Thomas, I think, needs to, like a Zach Allen did once upon a time after his rookie year, a MyJ Sanders as well, if they can put on some good weight and strength, yes, I do think you have three players right there you can count on in 2023. McBride played all but three snaps of offense, to your point, as far as the exhaustion and just peeling the tape off and the blood stains and everything else. So, yeah, he put forth the efforts and the work on Sunday. Just unfortunate. Cardinals could not come away with a win. 20-19, to 19, they lose one more game in San Francisco on Sunday. But let's leave everyone with some good news because it continues. The streak is alive. So, Cardinal fans, as much angst as you have for this team missing the postseason, watch the Ravens. The Chargers, the Vikings, the Giants, they all missed the playoffs last year. They're in the postseason this year. 33 consecutive seasons, Paul. At least four teams have qualified for the playoffs in every season that were not in the postseason the year before. You talk about roster turnover, there is turnover of the 14 teams that make the playoffs each and every year. That is remarkable. 33 straight seasons, at least four teams? Yes, since 1990. (laughs) And you know what? I was aware of that. I hadn't looked at that this year, and so there it is again. And every year you're making your predictions for the playoffs, right? And you go around and how many people, yours truly included, sort of pick the same old teams from the year before. That's wrong. History says the best indicator of the future is past performance, and boom, four different playoff teams at least every single year since 1990. It's remarkable. It's why the NFL continues to generate ridiculous TV ratings. I think I saw for the year 2022 of the top 100 rated uh, TV shows or programs on the air, like 91 of them were NFL broadcasts. That's remarkable. And so – uh, and, and you know what? It gives you hope. It, but it also reminds you that once upon a time you were 10 and 2, and now you have lost 17 of 22. So just as quickly as you can turn things around and elevate your team, you can plummet. And that's the challenge right now for the Arizona Cardinals. Once upon a time you were 7 and 0, 10 and 2. That is so last year. And I'm not just talking about the new year, that is so last year. What you have to talk about right now is for whatever reason, injuries, execution, 
we could spend the next three days straight talking about it, but 17 of your last 22 have been L's. That has to be addressed, and it will be addressed. There will be change. How much? We don't know. Nobody knows. But there will be blood, no question about it, and it's coming, whether it's Black Monday or somewhere subsequently thereafter. Yeah, change top to bottom, and that should be the expectation for everyone. And we've heard owner Michael Bidwell say as much when we've seen him comments on Hard Knocks in season. Starts at the top. He's certainly frustrated, angry with this season. Now the question is what happens so the Cardinals can be next year one of those four teams that go from outside of the playoffs to in the playoffs because that is the goal each and every year for every team in the NFL. Good place to put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Amahundro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.